Amen. Good morning again, church. Good morning, online community. Great to have you with us today. So when I was uh, younger, when I was really young, I was growing up, I was, I was the youngest of a small family. And I was puny, scrawny, weak, and not very athletic. And so, you know, whenever we would play, you know, sports, they would always pick, you know, two people to be captains. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? I was never picked to be a captain. Shocker. And then they start picking who's going to be on their teams. Anybody ever been a part of that horrendous process? Yeah. And of course, I was hoping to God that I would not be the last one picked again. But of course, I always was. And then I didn't get to play much. I'd pretty much just kind of stay out of the way of the bigger, stronger, more athletic types that were on the field, right? And, um, and they called me John John, so you can see where my status was in the pecking order. Um, why would I always get picked last and not get to play very much? Can, can you tell me why? Because they wanted to win. I mean, that's the point, right? Playing sports, you want to win. And so you're not going to have John John come in. Well, here's the great thing about God. God does it completely differently. Amen. Let's read what Paul says to the same church I was talking to you about uh, during communion as he was correcting them about their situation. Uh, he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the John Johns of the world to shame his older brothers and sisters. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Processing in public. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. I like the way the message translation puts it. Listen to this translation. Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you were called into this life, the eternal life with Jesus Christ. I don't see many of the brightest and best among you. Can you imagine if I said that to you all? It's true, but can you imagine if I said it? Not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? Chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies? That makes it quite clear that none of you can get get by with blowing your own horn before God. Everything that we have, right thinking, right living, clean slate and a fresh start comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. That's why we have the saying, if you're going to blow the horn, blow a trumpet for God. Can I hear an amen? amen? The scripture is replete from, uh, from cover to cover with God choosing the most insecure, obscure, insignificant people, places, and things that do some of his greatest things through on the planet. Now, does this mean that he doesn't call the rich and the powerful the influential? Well, of course not. I'll talk about that in just a minute. But I want us to look very quickly through just a few examples in the Bible about how God 
purposely chooses those that nobody else would to do some of his greatest things. All right? You guys ready to be included in the kingdom of God? David. David was about 15 years old. God told the prophet Samuel, I'm going to choose a new king for Israel. I'm done with his joker salt. And so he says, go to the house of a guy named Jesse. And so he goes into Jesse's house and he says, God says he's going to pick a new king for Israel and it's going to come from your family. And Jesse's like, could you imagine, Phil? Can you imagine? What? Seriously? Okay. So he grabs his seven sons and he lines them up. And Eliab, he's the tallest, the most uh, handsome, and the oldest son of all of them. And he's got the, the rest of them. So they're all lined up. And so they thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before Samuel. And he says this, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't look at how handsome Eliab is or how tall he is, because I have not chosen him. God does not see the same way people see. People look at the outside of a person, but the Lord looks at the heart. After he went through all seven of his sons, he said, I know the Lord told me one of your sons is going to be king. Do you have any other sons? He goes, yeah, I have one more. He's a teenager. Huh. And he's out feeding the sheep. He goes, well, call him in. Let's see what the Lord says. And David, the teenager, walks in and then the prophet says, the anointed of Israel, the next king. God does this on purpose so that everybody gets to play. God chooses the poor, the rich, the educated, the uneducated, the affluent, those with no influence. He chooses everybody. He calls everybody. Not everybody comes, but He uses and calls everybody. Can I hear an amen? Amen. We have in our culture something that is now actually coined as celebrity addiction. We, We literally worship and idolize gamers, athletes, models the rich, and we follow them. Why? It's literally, it's called a celebrity addiction. Oh, 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 what are they saying? What are they doing? Who are they with? Oh, 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 I got it. Oh, my friends know what they're doing. What's the next song? What are they wearing? Oh, oh, oh. It's like, oh my God. It's like, it's an addiction of a human being. That's called idolatry. We are not supposed to be addicted to anybody but Jesus Christ. We are to be following Him. What is He saying? What is He doing? What is He wearing? Well, a a crown on His head as the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Amen? And guess what? When you give your life to Him, He puts a crown on your head and calls you a prince or a princess of God. A son and a daughter of the King. So why are we lusting after human beings to be like them? We can certainly follow certain people to learn from them, get, get uh, a perspective, to have a hero. That's fine. We need that. But not to trade your identity for theirs. Can I hear an amen? amen. But this is what we do. But that's not what God does. Here's another example. Gideon. Oh, by the way, why did God choose David? David wasn't perfect. Read his life story. Adultery and first degree murder is not good. 
But David had a heart that was soft and repentant and truly wanted to do what God wanted to do. Now look, some of you, the devil tells you you're a hypocrite because you come to church, you read the Bible, you raise your hands, and yet you sin. And the devil calls you a hypocrite. That's not what a hypocrite is. He uses that lie on people all the time and people buy it hook, line, and sinker. And then you come to church and you're all shamed or you stop coming to church because you think you've sinned so badly, God, I have nothing to do with you. That's not true. It's not like when God called you, you were sinless. He knows who we are. A hypocrite from Greek theater is somebody who is pretending to be somebody they're actually not. They have a mask on a stick. You guys know that, right? And they, you know, like a soap opera, right? You're like, you know who that, you know the person's deceiving everybody and you want to yell into the TV, right? Don't trust that person. They're deceiving you. That's the hypocrite. The person pretending to be your friend, but they're actually not because they're after something. Probably your demise. That's a hypocrite. A person who truly is trying to do right but keeps failing is not a hypocrite. That's called a Christian. That's living by the grace of Jesus Christ and His grace alone. Gideon. All right, here's this guy. The Midianites had completely, well, completely wiped out Israel's crops, killing their animals. They were oppressing them. The Midianites were the oppressors. The Israelites were completely oppressed. They tried to grow a crop, and the Midianites would come in and just literally destroy their crops. They were totally dominated. So here's Gideon, hiding in the basement from the enemy. And an angel appears to him and says, Oh, thou mighty man of valor. God will call you what you're not. So that you can become what he's called you to be. God sees what he can do with you. You can't. Because all you see is what you see in the mirror. But God sees beyond that. God sees when he partners with you, he can make you become something you could never be on your own. But Gideon's response... Gideon answered, Lord, how can I save Israel? Because that's what the angel said to him. I'm going to use you as a leader to save Israel. Isn't that amazing? He didn't go to the army and and choose the tallest and the strongest and the most well-equipped soldier. He didn't do that. He went into a basement where some kid was hiding and said, you are going to lead my people. And you, we are going to overthrow the Midianites who have dominated you for 40 years. And Gideon responds and says, Lord, how can I save Israel? My family group is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least important member of my family. And yet, God used Gideon with 300 men to overthrow 135,000 Midianites. What about the disciples of Jesus, the first disciples? Jesus did not go down to the local seminary and pick out the best and the brightest. He went down to the the sea and he found some foul-mouthed, immature brothers fighting with one another. And their dad's in the boat. Would you guys get the fish in the net? Yeah, but John won't do them. No, James is the one that started it. I mean, that's who Jesus picked. Three sets of brothers. He picked a tax collector who was a Jew 
who was, who was extracting taxes from his Jewish brothers for the Roman occupying government. And then he has Peter, who's a religious zealot, who would kill a Roman soldier if he had an opportunity. And he probably had them roomed together, Matthew and Peter. And yet, after Jesus died and rose from the dead, and he unleashes his, this ragtag group of disciples to lead the church. James and John, uh, Peter and John get arrested. They get beat up. They get put in prison. And then they bring him before the, the officials. And they say, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. We crucified him. We will crucify you. And Peter and John responded and said, can't do it. Sorry. We're going to keep preaching. We, we have to tell people what we know about Jesus Christ. And it says this about them. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. What about the nation of Israel itself? Well, in the Old Testament, when God was going to use Israel, who had been slaves for 430 years, they were not a military, military trained at all. They came from being slaves in Egypt, and he's bringing them through the desert, and he's going to take them into the promised land to overthrow all sorts of people groups that were mighty and powerful and populous. This is what God says. When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are about to enter and occupy, he will clear away many nations ahead of you. The Hittites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. These seven nations are greater and more numerous than you. But the Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other nations, for you were the smallest of all nations. And you know that's still the case? Israel is still this tiny little land in the middle of surrounded by enemies. Always has been. You guys ever hear of the Six-Day War? For those of you that don't know your history, the Six-Day War was miraculous. 40,000 Jews going up against 300,000 from Egypt, Syria, and Jordan, and 812 aircraft. They were going to literally obliterate Israel. In six days, Israel defeated them. One soldier said, the testimony was, literally had a vision of an angel, and as missiles were coming toward Israel, an angel was batting them into the sea. God has always defended Israel. He chose Israel. But see how he did this? I'm going to choose the smallest people group and give them the tiniest little piece of land. And they're going to be surrounded by all their enemies. And I'm just going to beat the crowd out of everybody through them. (laughs) Now, whether you agree or don't agree with the political history of all the people groups, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about how a tiny little nation can whoop up on three massive nations around them in six days. That's what I'm talking about. He goes on to say, I didn't choose you because you were more numerous than other nations, for you were the smallest of all nations. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you. 
And he was keeping the oath that he swore to your ancestors. That is, the Lord rescued you with such a strong hand from your slavery and from the oppressive hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Understand, therefore, that the Lord your God is indeed God. He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commands. Nazareth, another place. I'm giving you some examples of obscurity. Places, people, things that none of us would ever choose. Not going to have any followers on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. Nobody's going to be following people from Nazareth. Nazareth was such a nondescript town that there are no historians that ever wrote about it. It was never mentioned one time in the entire Old Testament. And yet God chose Nazareth to be the place that he, in human form, grew up. Nazareth was so despised, devalued, that there was a common phrase that Nathaniel used when, when his brother came and said, hey, we found the Savior. He's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel says, Nazareth? Can anything good, right? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's kind of like the other day, you know, we're at the hospital with Hope, and the nurse said, now, where are you from? We said, Ramona. And she said, where, where is that? She's just in San Marcos. Ramona's right there. I mean, you get that all the time, right? I mean, we can't get technicians to come up there. Well, we can get out there in three weeks, but we need our refrigerator fixed now. Yeah, we don't have any technicians going to Ramona. Goodness gracious. It's kind of like when you meet somebody and you say, where are you from? And they say, well, do you know where Sacramento is? Uh Uh-huh, yeah. Well, we're 30 miles east of that, right? That's what Nazareth was. And God chooses Nazareth as the town that his son grows up. And here's what David Mathis says from Desiring God. Eminent first century figures didn't know or speak much about Nazareth, at least not in prominent enough publications to preserve. Still, in God's wise, world-shaming plan for his son, part of his life of humility and submission to his parents was leaving the buzzing big city temple the very nexus of the nation's activity and excitement and going down to small town Nazareth to live 30 years in obscurity. Here he would remain until John the Baptist's arrest and Nazareth not only meant a more out-of-the-way rural, even backwater life than up in Jerusalem, but Nazarene would be a stigma Jesus would carry the rest of his life. Every gospel writer literally wrote that Jesus was from, what, what did they say? Nazareth, a town in Galilee. So Jesus' his own critics all through his life would uh, use his title, Jesus of Nazareth, to discredit his authority. Nothing good comes out of Ramona. Except five of the best families of the Gathering Place Church. I mean. <laughs> and they have great wine now. You do know that Ramona used to be the turkey capital of the world. Uh-huh. You didn't know that, did you? Now, out of nowhere, we've become uh, like one of the hot spots for vineyards, wineries. Yeah. See? God does the best stuff in the most obscure places. (laughs) Now you might be wondering, okay, what about those 
who have affluence, who have position, who have power, who have education, who have money and wealth. Are we allowed in as well? Absolutely. In fact, the Apostle Paul who wrote that was powerful and wealthy and influential when Jesus called him. Now, he gave it all up, but he had to because all of his wealth and power and influence was connected with being at the top of the food chain of Judaism. And he knew that if I give my life to Jesus, I'm going to have to give all my power and affluence up. And he gladly did. And that's the way it is in many parts of the world still today, like in the Middle East. You give your life to Jesus over there today, and it could very well cost you your life. They will at least torture you, imprison you. Your family will um, ostracize you. You have no chance at jobs or education in parts of the world today. But Jesus calls the wealthy, the affluent, the powerful as well. The problem is many don't come because they don't feel the need. They will feel it on judgment day. And that will be a travesty. God's calling and drawing everyone. But it's usually not until you're empty, lost, lonely, broke, that you realize I've come to the end of my human capability. My life has fallen apart. I need help. And God says, I've been here the whole time. And God responds to your cry for help. That's why Jesus had to explain what he was doing with the rich young ruler in the Bible. There was a guy who was young, he was rich, and he was a ruler. He had all of it. And he comes to Jesus in public, throws himself down on his feet, and goes, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you got to give all your money away to the poor. And people take that verse, and they say, see, Jesus wants all the rich to give all their money to the poor. Everybody go, eh, do that. Eh. The survey says, eh, wrong. He told this guy to give his money away because the guy had a greed problem. Money had the guy's heart. Jesus didn't do that with everyone. He knew this guy was not going to be able to follow him because when it came to choosing Jesus over wealth, the guy was going to choose his wealth. So Jesus said, okay, to follow me, you got to get rid of your money because you're in love with it. And yet Jesus himself, it says that he had rich women that traveled with him that financed his ministry. The apostle Paul, as I said, was wealthy. Luke was a physician. Cornelius purchased the synagogue that was next to his house. You had Joseph of Arimathea, who was very wealthy, who, who helped take Jesus down from the cross and bought the tomb that they buried Jesus in. You have the Ethiopian treasurer. He had a little bit of money. Jesus chooses the rich, the poor, the high class, the low class, the middle class. He calls everybody. Zacchaeus, the tax collector, very wealthy. He got saved in one afternoon and said, I'm giving half my money to the poor. And if I've stolen from anybody, I give back fourfold. But it didn't mean he stopped being a tax collector or stopped being wealthy. He just became righteous. Paul's point is this. In any given society, we are prone to give place to the power brokers. The beautiful, the powerful, the influential, the quote successful. 
Paul's message is, God is the power broker. And if you connect with him, he will make you powerful and influential in people's lives. Because you will be bringing the power of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He may exalt you and raise you up. A nobody becomes a somebody. Or he may leave you in obscurity. It doesn't really matter if you're walking with God. Because God will be able to exercise His will through your life. And if you're obscure here on the earth, guess what? If you're faithful, everybody say faithful. Faithful. Like someone said to Mother Teresa, what do you think about all your success? And she said, I don't remember Jesus saying anything about success. I do remember Him talking about faithfulness. If you are faithful here on earth and nobody knows your name, you're faithful to Jesus when you die and go to heaven and there's an a reward ceremony, which there is going to be an award ceremony, you will be well known in all of eternity for how you were faithful to Jesus Christ while you were on earth. Can I hear an amen? amen. So God doesn't just pick the best and the brightest. He picks us. And the point is, everyone gets to play. Have you ever been on a team, a sports team, where you can win, and you're winning, and you can win all the time because you have the best team? However, you have a coach that plays everybody. And you're winning, and then the coach pulls the A team off and puts the B team in. Puts the kid that sits down at the end of the bench, he's small and couldn't defend anybody can't catch anything okay can i say it again john john come on in and he brings out the middle linebacker and puts in you know this pipsqueak and they lose the game anybody ever been on one of those teams before yeah here's the difference with god he plays everybody and he always wins The only time the body of Christ is in jeopardy, now listen to me, do you online too, listen to me. The only time the body of Christ is in jeopardy is when everybody doesn't play. God gives out gifts and talents to everybody that calls on his name and then they sit and do nothing for Jesus. Why do you think he gave every single one of us a gift? A talent, an ability. Do you think he wants you to use it? There's a whole parable about those that did not use their gifts for him. And you don't want to be that person, I promise you. It's a scary parable. He has given you talents and gifts for the purpose of serving him and expanding his kingdom in the earth. Here are a few scriptures to support this. God has given, now when you see this word, each of you, say it out loud. God has given, come on, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Not sit on them, not ignore them, not use them for worldly purposes. If God's given you the power to gain wealth, it's not just you can have bigger boats and bigger, nicer cars and, and, and more homes and give nothing to the kingdom of God. That's going to be disastrous for you on judgment day. If he's giving you the ability to sing, it's not so that you can sell your soul to the devil and become popular in the world's eyes and you leave the church leading God's people in the worship and the presence of God so that you can run and chase that. 
I've seen it over and over and over and over again. People with speaking talents called to preach end up being motivational speakers, getting incredibly wealthy, and they aborted their call because of the shiny objects and the promises of the enemy. Satan did that to Jesus. He said, look at all the kingdoms of the world. They're mine because Adam gave them to me. If you will bow down and just worship me, I will give you all these kingdoms. And Jesus said, you shall serve the Lord God only. He would not sell his soul to get this world's goods. It says, now collectively you are Christ's body and individually you are members of each with his own special purpose and function. That means every single one of you, every single one of you is on God's team. And he expects you to be in the game. The Bible says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. First Corinthians says, all these things, the gifts, the achievements, the abilities, the empowerment, are brought about by one and the same Holy Spirit distributed to each one individually, just as he chooses. Paul says this in the book of Ephesians. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. Their responsibility is to do all the work, all the healing, do all the teaching, and do all the prophesying so that everybody else just watches. Is that what your translation says? I'm going to read this again because this is very important. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to, say it out loud with me, equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. I've run out of time. I'm going to say a couple closing comments. First Corinthians chapter 12, I was going to read it to you, I don't have time. He talks about the body of Christ being like a human body. And when one part of the body is not working, it affects the rest of the body. When you don't play, when you don't get in the game, when you don't join a ministry team, get into a connect group, do something to help build the church, advance the kingdom of God, you are weakening the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are His. He bought you with His blood. He gave you a gift. So many Christians that I talked to over the last 40 years say, well, I don't know. I don't, I'm not, I'm not satisfied in, you know, church is boring and, and, you know, I don't really know what God's will is for my life. Well, what gift do you have and what are you doing with it to build the church that Jesus died for and is coming back for? That's the missing link. Well, they don't need me. That's where you're wrong. We need you and you need us. We are the body of Christ. It's amazing to me that you can have an athlete that is like a killing machine. And you have a sprained toe and they're sitting on the bench. Isn't that incredible? That this mammoth of a man that could just run any one of us over like a Mack truck is not even in the game because of, well, some of you just might be a big toe in the body of Christ, but we need you. Well, you've already got people singing. Yeah, but they don't sing like you. You were called by God to be part of the body of Christ. 
I touched on this earlier, but I'm going to hit this again because this is a really good point, and I want to drive this home. There's a lot of talk in the world right now about equality and diversity and inclusion. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ should be the example to the world of what that looks like. Why? Because we are not to be self-centered, gender-centered, class-centered, ethno-centered, race-centered, age-centered, economic-centered, politically-centered. We are to be Christ-centered. Our unity is because we all belong to Jesus. Period. Just as every cell in a body is unique and serves different purposes, yet they're all linked to one common root, and that is the same DNA code. We are all linked to Jesus. That's what makes us one. When my wife had an eating disorder when she was a teenager and she was in the hospital. She was there twice as a teenager. You know what delivered her from her eating disorder? Somebody introduced her to her identity in Jesus Christ. She had worth in Him. He is her identity. All this self stuff is narcissism. It's utter foolishness. And it's a dead end. It'll leave you empty and void. Me, 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 me. How many pictures can I take of myself today? Wow. You're that into yourself? We are to be caught up in Him. I heard a person say, talking about Christianity, yeah, I was raised in it. And I said, well, you weren't supposed to be raised in it. You were supposed to be raised in Him. He is not a religion. He is the King of kings. He is the Savior of the world. And He crushed Satan at the cross. When He died for our sins and He rose from the dead, He literally had Satan neck under his foot and crushed him and then he called you to be his son called you to be his daughter and when you come to him the bible says you die you lay down your life and then you live a resurrected life for him have you died yet have you died yet I did. I'm living for Him. Are you living for Him or for yourself? If you're living for Him, then you're all in. Jesus said that if you half step, you will not be able to follow Him because you're going to get hit hard by the enemy. 
The world's going to be trying to draw you away. And if you're half-stepping, you're not going to make it. You can't make it that, that way. The battle's too ferocious. You've got to be all in. That's why Jesus said, take up your cross daily. A cross is a sign of crucifixion, death. Take up your cross daily and follow me. And he said, and you will have the light of life. Why don't you just close your eyes for a moment and ask yourself this question. What gift or talent or ability do I have? Think about this. What gift, talent, or ability do I have? And what am I doing with it? Ask yourself this question. How can I take who I am and what I have and serve Jesus? I want you to ask, I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit now into this process. Just the last few minutes we have. Just keep your eyes closed for a moment. Just ask the Holy Spirit who's here in presence. Say, say, Holy Spirit, what have you given me that you want me to use to build your church? Some of you who came to Christ, either you didn't come all in or you have gotten lukewarm. I say this in the way I hope you understand it. I'm saving your life right now by challenging you to be all in. Do you want to be freed from self-hatred and depression and low self-esteem. Give your life completely to Jesus right now and that is going to go away. Because you won't be living for yourself anymore. You're done with yourself. You're living for Him. Do that right now. Say, Jesus, I'm all in. I've been half-stepping, but no more. I'm all in. As of right now, I'm all in. Some of you in here today and online, you've never given your life to Jesus. I want to give you that chance right now. You need to escape the judgment of God and eternity without Him. And He has made the only way out for you. And His name is Jesus. He hung His Son on a cross and punished Him for your sins so that you could be freely forgiven but he can't force his son on you you have to receive his son and right now is your moment to do that this is called the gospel the good news and you're hearing it right now and the day will come where the gospel will never be preached again and your opportunity will be over so if you've never received Jesus Christ as your savior before right now where you're sitting just say to him between you and him say Jesus I believe. 
I believe you died for my sins. I believe you're the gift of God for me. And I am asking you right now to forgive me and be my Savior. I'm turning my life over to you right now. If you just did that, you're going to find your heart being filled with peace in this moment. The peace you're feeling is the peace of Jesus. So today is Say Yes Sunday. It's the last thing I'm going to say, and we're going to sing. We'll have the prayer team come up and pray for you. I can't emphasize this enough. And this isn't manipulation to try to get you to serve in the church. I'm going to give you an opportunity to find a place to serve if you're not serving already, or if you want to serve even more. Um... There's a scripture, uh, uh, Chris, 1 Corinthians 15, I believe. You to see the verse, 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, my beloved, beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, always doing your best and doing more than is needed, being continually aware that your labor even to the point of exhaustion in the Lord is not futile nor wasted. It is never without purpose. And then Hebrews chapter 6 verse 10 says this. Now how could it be without purpose? Watch. For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for Him and how you have shown your love to Him by caring for other believers as you still do. What is my point? I wish I could stress this enough. That everybody would believe it and do something about it. When you get to heaven, you are going to be rewarded for everything you did for Jesus Christ while you were on the earth. Every dollar you gave, every prayer you prayed, every sermon you preached, every person you prayed for, every person that you helped, every time Chris back here does the tech and Jerry does the sound and Josiah does the, does the, the camera, you guys have set up the chairs. You guys might think, well, that's not, I mean, that's not much. Heaven is recording it and is going to reward it. It's a fact. The Bible is very clear about this. That's why when believers are living for this life instead of the next, it's utter foolishness. If you spend your life not serving the Lord, you're going to get to heaven and you're going to, oh my God, can I have a redo, please? So I'm encouraging you now. Get in the game and begin serving with a gift God has given to you. Today is Say Yes Sunday. And that is that if you aren't serving or you want to serve, um, we have a table out front there. It's a Say Yes table. And you can sign up and say, I want to serve. I'm not sure where, or there's a list of, there's some listers ministries out there where they need some help. And you can write, I'm going to start showing up early and being on the set of crew. I'm going to be on the worship team. I'm going to be 
at the family needs connection where you're helping find needs in the body of Christ and meet those needs or whatever it might be. But this is your day to get in the game because everybody gets to play. Let's all stand and let's worship. We'll have the prayer teams come up and pray for the sick.